Welcome in to TYT's The Conversation. It is your host, Adrian Lawrence. And today joining me is a two time Emmy Award winner, also filmmaker and writer. That's Melissa Jo Pelte. Thank you so much for joining us, Melissa. You, you bet. I'm really happy to be here. Yes, and we are happy to have you, particularly because, as I understand, you have a new film coming out called The Game Is Up. Yes, it's actually out. It's available on Amazon and Google Play, and also Tubi and YouTube. Um, with commercials, but um, they uh, uh, it's about um, well, it's about people who changed their mind about Trump. People in 2016 who were all in, who over the four years lost lost the love and feeling. Interesting, interesting. And I would like to hope that there are more people out there than we often see because when we hear from different news media outlets, for some reason they are amplifying the MAGA crowd and crew. So I think a lot of people maybe don't fully appreciate that there are a number of individuals out there who are no longer standing Trump's brigade. And so what made you want to focus on this particular topic? Well, you know, I was I wanted to do something to help and I was I was obviously giving money and I was tweeting and I was doing all that kind of stuff. And but it wasn't enough. I you know, like so many people I felt so frustrated and I wanted to use my 30 years of of skill set <laughs> to do something and I was watching on Twitter Joe Walsh in real time change his mind. And it was fascinating to watch it in real time. And it happened little by little. It took a year. And it was more than a year, actually. And I thought, you know, there's got to be other people like that. There's got to be other people out there. Yes, and I would imagine that hopefully that there are a number of people out there like that who have changed their position and stance. And having this film out here, the game is up in their face, will hopefully maybe help others over the line. And as I understand, we have a few clips, a few moments from the film to show the trailer. When you're in the conservative media world like I was in, you are told to say every day that Donald Trump walks on water. I was told by my bosses to only say good things about Donald Trump. I told them to go. Most of our opinions about Donald Trump do not come from CNN or from MSNBC or from Fox. Most of our opinions about Donald Trump come from Donald Trump himself. People say, oh, I should get over it, I should move on. But it's like, how can you? I mean, they lied about liberals, lied about Democrats, lied about Trump. It's kind of hard to just move on. I know quite a few uh, people my age who are in the Republican Party who they're thinking about leaving the Republican Party. They're thinking about leaving this Trumpism, this phenomenon. I threw up the red flag, I threw up the white flag as a warning that this was bad agricultural policy and it was going to hurt us for a long time. Wow, wow, that is so incredibly powerful. And it does seem like something you could almost watch in real time, as you had mentioned, in terms of watching Joe Walsh finally kind of come to. And what do you think it is that you've seen that maybe is something shared by all of the people you interviewed for maybe an impetus that made them finally kind of wake up? Well, you know, I was so naive. I really thought that Joe Walsh was going to be like the canary in the coal mine. You know, he was going to be the first one, and then the rest of the Republican Party would, was going to come along. But obviously, that didn't happen. But I think the one thing that they shared was they all had a sense of integrity that 
They what when they learned that certain things they believed weren't true, they felt violated. Um, they didn't block out. Well, for, they all did blocked out the the contradictions for a while, but they just couldn't keep it up. The cognitive dissonance, and they just couldn't they couldn't live with it. So they looked at the truth, and they changed their mind. Uh, they all had different you know turning points, but that was the the general thing that they shared. Wow, I find it, I don't know, it's just somewhat fascinating that people were, what they were unwilling to see from the beginning. And I'm wondering, have people started doing that introspective work of asking themselves why they were so willing to be duped by someone who on the surface, so many, I think millions of us knew that the man was nothing but a charlatan and a fraud and also completely unqualified for the position. So I'm wondering if these people who have flipped the script and realized that if they're doing any introspective work, uh, to really all assess why they got duped to begin with. All of them did. All of them did. And you know, they all lost a lot also. I mean, Joe Walsh lost his radio show, uh, which was doing very well at the time. Um, uh, Bacha Goldberg lost her friends in the Republican Party because all her friends were in the Republican Party. Uh, uh, David Weissman lost a lot of friends, a lot of friends, a lot of people he'd been in the military with called him a traitor for leaving Trump. And uh, the evangelicals also, you know, the two evangelicals, two of the ones we, we profiled, they had to leave their church. They just couldn't take it anymore. They couldn't take it anymore. They had to leave. And, you know, there's a price for <laughs> being honest, but but there's a freedom in it. And, and we talk about that. You know, once people realize it, they feel different. You know, they, they feel different. I would imagine there was something that is a spark in them because I think instinctively we all kind of knew. I think everyone knew at the core they were just clinging to certain aspects of either it's hope, idealization, or any any kind of bias or nonsense. But at the end of the day, the thing is, is everything was out there for us to see. So I'm glad to hear that. Hopefully they're doing that introspective work. And as far as it concerns, when it comes to recruiting others to join the dump Trump train and to kind of find the light. How is that going for people? Well, you know, that was my original reason for making this film and why I was so driven to make it. Because I believe that there's people who are in MAGA circles who have a knot in their stomach and they don't know why. And they can't say it, they can't say anything critical about Trump with their friends and neighbors and family because of their church. Because everyone else is, is singing his praises and he's the next coming. And it's very, very hard to, to do, to say something when you haven't heard anyone else say it. And I thought this, especially breaking down exactly how they changed, I thought this would be a way to give them permission to change. Um, I, how, how, it, how is it going? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because the film was only released uh, less than a month ago. And I, I don't know if anyone has been changed, but that's the goal. Even if one person changes, you know, my my what I say is show this film to your your the person next door who took down their lawn sign and they don't wear the shirt or hat anymore, but they will defend them to the death, you know. But they have that feeling like they know they don't want people to know. So they've still that that means there's some doubt there. Because when there's a little bit of doubt, that's how you change. It, that if they can let have a little bit of doubt and let that in and let the air in, 
then more comes in and then finally the whole truth comes in. Yes, without a doubt, planting that little sense of that little seed. And and I really I really like how you are turning the mirror toward people so that they can see, hey, you know, whatever led you down this path so that you thought that this person was reliable and that they had leadership skills and that they were presidential, that that is something that maybe is harboring within you that you should address first so that hopefully it won't happen again. Because it seemed like too many people got sucked into these ideals, even though so many of us saw them. And I think that's a fear for a lot of us that there's just gonna be another Trump-like cult figure that will lead others. And I see you shaking your head with that one. No, I, I'm so worried about it, you know, I, it, <laughs> it keeps me awake. But, um, and it could be him still, but I think, you know, what, what I love about the people who, who participated in this is we break down their whole steps, step by step. What was the moment? You know, what did they why did they vote for Trump? And you know, liberals are often very judgmental of people who voted for Trump. But you could see in, in this film, at least in 2016, they all had bad information or they were just party loyal. And when they woke up, then they changed. Yes, and that awakening is something that we are all grateful for. But as we're trying to kind of um, maybe wash off the stink and the residue of Trump and hopefully keeping him out of office come 2024. And that's something very scary for us. And I know that you'd mentioned that the game is up, has only been out for about a month now. But so far, what are you hearing from viewers? I'm hearing great stuff. Um, by the way, if you rent it on Amazon, we'd love it if you left a review for us because that really helps people find us. But um, we've, we have, last I looked, like 35 five star reviews. Um, uh, people are saying, you know, this is exactly the conversation we need to have. We need to understand that people had their personal reasons. But we also need to understand that they're people. They're people who made mistakes. And if they're willing to admit that they made a mistake, let them in. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't, don't keep harping on them that they made this mistake and I'll never forgive you. When they realize and they admit it, let them in because we need as many people on the side as possible. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's something that's very difficult because we've created this society of perfection. And when people are afraid to say, hey, I was wrong or I didn't get it right. And so having enough people, Walsh, others coming forward and saying, hey, I was duped too, or hey, I got it wrong, my biases came in. I think that can lead the way for a lot of people to admit it themselves. And so I'm really happy that you pulled together the game is up and that you are getting this out there. And again, can you please tell viewers out there who would like to watch the film where they can get it? Okay, you can find it on Amazon. It's $4.99 to rent, so it's not a big cost. And that's that's beautiful 4K, you know, HD. Um, it looks great on there, and it's also commercial free. It's on Google Play commercial free, and it's also on YouTube and on Tubi. So you can, those two are AVOD, so you'll see commercials in those, but they're free. Excellent, thank you so much for joining us. The film is The Game Is Up, and thanks again for joining us. It's Melissa Joe Peltier, thank you, Melissa. Really appreciate it.
And we've got more conversation for you with more Adrian Lawrence, I hope you don't mind. Well, this time I am joined by an award winning a social psychologist who happens to have some great insight on social change and making change. That's Dolly Chug, she's the author of A More Just Future, Psychological Tools for Reckoning with, your, with Our Past and Driving Social Change. Thanks so much for joining us, Dolly. Thank you, Adrian, thanks for having me. Yes, so if you were gonna give viewers kind of just a, a quick thought on what your book is about, what would you say? Yeah, my book is our relationship about our relationship with our past, our country's complicated history. And what I try to do is ground it in science and storytelling and, and fuel it with love of country. That's fantastic, I, I absolutely love that. And I'm sure uh, fueling and infusing it with truth, because uh, that seems to be such an issue right now when we have so much history being whitewashed. And uh, I know as a um, social psychologist and one who understands why people do this, I guess, can you give us an idea of really this whitewashing of history, what this looks like, what does it mean? Yeah, you know, there's some great research in social psychology, my field, that looks at something as simple as a football game. And when you have fans from opposing side watching a football game, how they report completely different games afterwards. And this is familiar to a lot of sports fans. You, you know, you, you, one side thinks the refs was making terrible calls, the other side thinks the ref was making great calls. It's, it's a metaphor, but it's also kind of capturing the psychology of what happens in how we tell our stories, whether it's our stories about our own families or about our ancestors or about our, our country's past. In the same way, we tell it from our own perspective. We see our own perspective. We see fouls or don't see fouls based on which side, if, if for lack of a better word, we're on or what identity we hold. And what that leads is to a limited perspective on history, particularly when the way it's carried forward is through um, textbooks, through cultural narratives, through media that are dominated by one perspective and not as not broadly representing other perspectives. Yes, because it always what it's it's the winners who end up writing history and dictating how it's told. And it does definitely seem like those who may have gotten away with a few genocides are the ones who get to dictate whether we even acknowledge them as genocides or as just spats that were easily, you know, gotten past. And it seems that we are going to go ahead and repeat a fair amount of history if we don't have this reckoning with our history and our past. I understand that there are seven psychological tools for reckoning with our whitewashed past, but I don't want you to give away all seven. But can you at least talk to us about one of them? Sure, absolutely. Um, one of them that I talk a lot about in the book is paradox. Um, there's research on how our brains really love consistency. You know that tendency when you see a picture on the wall that's a little crooked, you want to like straighten it, you know, or you want to get that piece of the puzzle to fit. That's our brains trying to get things to fit and line up, that's natural. But what it means is that sometimes life is complicated and contradictory. Sometimes two conflicting things can both be true. For example, it is true that the forefathers of the United States of America had extraordinary vision, did um, wrote extraordinary documents, uh, it overcame extraordinary odds, true. It is also true that many of those forefathers also were enslaving other human beings, were torturing them when they tried to escape 
were separating humans from their families while they were writing those documents and crafting those visions. Both of those statements are true. That is a paradox. And one of the tools that I try to offer um, readers is the paradox mindset that psychologists have showed us that when we can allow, just tell ourselves two things, two opposing things can be true at the same time, our brain loosens up to sort of allow ourselves to be more resilient, to be more creative. And for my purposes in my book, it means that we can do some of the unlearning and relearning that we need to do in in a world where paradox does exist. That's so interesting. Uh, I think I've always been able to hold paradox in my head and it might have been because my mother started me young and saying, you know, people are different in different roles. Um, Like your father might be a great father, but he's not the best husband and they're divorced now. But let me tell you, I can hold a paradox or two. So I'm glad that you are giving others the tool to get on board for this. And so when it comes to getting people the tools that they need to be able to have this reckoning with the past, Mm -hmm. something you acknowledge is the pain of belief grief. What's that? Yeah, yeah, I was looking for a phrase to capture what I'm feeling often when I'm trying to, I mean, this book comes from a very personal place. It's coming from my own belief grief, which is, uh, a child of immigrants came from India to the United States, greatest country in the world. You know, is, is the narrative I've grown up with my whole life. I love this country deeply, um, and <laughs> paradox. I've also come to realize that some of the beliefs I had about meritocracy, about um, our egalitarianism, about how we live up to our values, have not always been true, and so. The belief grief is that just like when we grieve the loss of a person in our life, it's letting go of something that that feels like it's part of us and and mourning it, but then also looking for ways to move forward. And for me, what that means is these tools like we're talking about, looking for ways to, while loving my country, still look for ways to improve it. I call it the Patriot's Dilemma, this idea that Sometimes the more you love something, the harder it is to see it for what it is. And that belief grief kind of can stop us. Um, I'm looking for what are the ways we can engage with those truths um, and, and move through that grief while acknowledging acknowledging it's real. That's a, that's a very interesting um, conflict uh, there and that that need for that reckoning. And it, it makes sense. And I, I've never thought about it before then. And I, maybe it's uh, the privilege of somebody who did grow up here. But that thought of being an immigrant and you have these hopes and dreams and you uproot your entire life on this foundational belief and this thought that it's going to be better here only to finally, unfortunately, come to that realization that you may have been safer where you were. There may have been more opportunity where you were, or at least that the system in which you have brought yourself is not that it's all cracked up to be. That that must be pretty intense. Yeah, and I, you know, in, in my personal experiences, you know, I think I've been protected from a lot of those tougher realities in my own personal experience, but we know that's not true for everybody. And and the narrative, you know, is that the 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 streets are paved with gold in, in in the United States, and 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 there's no doubt there is so much this country offers so many of us that we that I know I sometimes very much take for granted. Um, but the idea is, you know, I think of it as like 
just like we don't want to, if you're a parent, only see the Instagrammed version of your kids. You know, you can love your kids, but not like everything they do and look for ways to help them be better, be as good as they could possibly be. The same is true, I think, for our country. We don't want to just love the Instagrammed version that, you know, the the sort of distant (laughs) immigrant version of it. We want to love the real version. And even when we don't like everything here, look for ways to help it be as good as it can be. Absolutely. And accountability, um, as well as ensuring that it does, uh, a nation does have the opportunities um, to be better and to live up to its promise. That would definitely be a reflection of love. Uh, And I think a lot of people think that critique and that criticism is a reflection of disdain when that's not necessarily the case at all. Uh, And I know that you talk about in your book being a gritty patriot. What's that look like? Yeah, and I just love how you just articulated that, you know, coming from a place of love. Yes, and grit, let's add to that. So Angela Duckworth, um, psychologist behind the concept of grit, defines it as passion, think love, and perseverance in pursuit of a meaningful long-term goal. So let's think of patriotism as a meaningful long-term goal. And it's not just something we wear or holidays we celebrate. It's something we do. We're actively involved in. So being a gritty patriot is putting that passion and perseverance to work on a regular basis in pursuit of this meaningful long-term goal. Um, uh, To me, that feels very hopeful. It makes me feel like there's a path forward, that it's not either... I love my country or I don't. It's that I am actively engaged in loving and improving my country all the time. And that grittiness is what we do in the rest of our lives. Like in our jobs, we have to be gritty. We have to sort of have lots of passion and perseverance to keep getting better in our with our families and our communities. We do this in lots of elements of our life. What if we also did it with our country in a way where we don't feel like we're just entitled to an easy love of country, but that we can pursue it with this gritty patriotism. Yeah, and I would think that a lot of that um, uh, in terms of a country and its future would have to do with the reckoning of the past to get everyone on board to work together. Um, But if people are unwilling to acknowledge and to connect the dots between those past events and the reality of the present, which is something that you also address in the book, it seems like the opportunity for growth uh, for a unified front, uh, that that can be something that may not necessarily come to fruition. And after these last several years that have been just just horrific for so many of us, it seems like a lot of people would benefit from your book, um, you know, for that renewed sense of patriotism and love, which is something I think we can hopefully all get on board. And so I know it just launched earlier this week. So congratulations on your launch date. And so for people who are out there that want to get their hands on a more just future, where should they go? Oh, thank you so much. It's in all the bookstores around you and all the online booksellers, independent bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and you can always visit my website, dollychug.com and find it, find information there as well. Fantastic. That is Dolly Chug, social psychologist and author of A More Just Future, Psychological Tools for Reckoning with Our Past and Driving Social Change. Check it out, everybody. It is available anywhere you can get your hands on a book. Thanks so much for joining us, Dolly. Thank you so much for having me, Adrian.